welcome to Silo Busting. I'm your host, Allison Coden, an interaction designer at EPAM Continuum. Corporations aren't people. Let's get that out of the way right now. Whatever their legal status, these entities that employ us and sell us their products and provide us the foundations and pleasures of daily life are not automatically set up to relate to us humans on our human level. Their allegiance is to shareholders, to financial sustainability, to the future. In our capitalist society, perhaps that's as it should be. But we are human. As a species, we're easily confused, pressed for time, yet still optimistic. Most of us ordinary workers and consumers, and I count myself as both, don't have the education or even the bandwidth to think deeply about whether or not corporations are protecting us, our data and privacy, our human rights, the earth, air, and water that sustain us. In other words, the building blocks and fundamental concerns of ESG. So it comes to people like Michelle Dennity, CEO of Privacy Code and co-author of the Privacy Engineers Manifesto, today in conversation with Sam Raymond, our Chief Information and Security Officer and SVP, to make sure that these corporate creatures continue to play by human rules required to keep our best interests in mind. As Michelle explains, much of this comes down to reframing concerns around privacy and sustainability in terms that make sense from the corporate side. Creating a code of ethics that brings corporate concerns into sync with human values and a brand strategy that helps companies communicate with their stakeholders in human terms. Let's hear her and Sam discuss the legal, ethical, and creative challenges and opportunities of pushing corporations to be a little more like us. Good morning, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Sam. No, this is, this is great. This is a topic that, to be very honest with you, I, I personally not knowledgeable enough about and, and I love to learn more about it and the other day we were talking about it and I realized there was a lot of depth to it and I, I really want you to share that with the audience and but maybe before we start if we can step back just a little bit to talk about you know what what is ESG just from you know from a very basic high level perspective yeah so it it, it is and and is it an it or is it a flow? Is it a state of mind? I don't know. But the initials stand for environmental, social, and governance principles. I'll put the principles at the end. So ESG. So the E part for environmental, I think it can be expansively clean water, clean air. Um, it's typically carbon credits these days at the board level. What are we doing for the actual environment? Um the, the, the part that is more in, in our wheelhouses is social, society, and governance. So what are we doing as a corporate entity? And we know that whether we like it or not, corporations are deemed to be sort of a weird hybrid person. How are these persons actually behaving in the community around them? What are they doing beyond a, a CSR, which is like a community service kind of um, you know, ph- philanthropic health? But from a pure investability and stability of a corporation, I believe that the social and the governance aspects of ESG can be, should be indicators of the health of your relationship with your employees. Do you have a healthy work environment that is sustainable and reliable so that I as an investor would want to give you more money, buy some shares from you? And governance is really, are you are you able to be a well-governed entity intentionally? Do you have a strategy for governance versus are you just getting lucky that no one's catching you doing bad things? And we're talking about board level things for ESG. So we're not talking about operational bits and bobs. We're really talking about as an umbrella, what is the welfare and health of a company? And and you may poo-poo what's been happening with ESG with some of the, should I buy a solar panel? Should I buy a, a credit for carbon uh, Ex, you know, expenditures and use, 
I think that is starting to shape up and mature. And I actually think the S and the G with privacy and security, we are really core to, I think, the, the value that, that that metric and that strategy and that intentionality of investment can bring. That's, that's really interesting, especially how you describe, um, you use the word healthy uh, relationship or healthy environment. I, I, I've always looked at a safe environment as, as part of what needs to be in a healthy environment. I looked at my family and obviously I try to provide them a safe environment to live in as much as I can because I believe that safety, security is one big aspect of it. I think this is why we're such good yin and yang, Sam, because safety and security is critical and core. And, and I've, I've grown up and lived my life in the world of privacy. And you often hear told that you can have security with no privacy, but you can't have privacy without security. And somehow that has been interpreted to me that privacy is somewhat subordinate. And I, I totally disagree. And I love what you're saying, Sam, like you want your family, you want your coworkers, you want your life to be safe and secure. Well, the best way to do that, of course, is to dig a bunker. But if you want them to live and you want your kids to leave the nest and forge out, it, it involves risks. It involves human stories. It involves human interaction and, and learning the skills to be resilient when you're talking to other people who are also not living in their bunkers. So I think this is a very happy marriage between security and privacy together where we get to be healthy, but we also get to navigate all sorts of new and innovative and creative endeavors. Yep. I, I can't agree more. In fact, that, that's the other reason why I think when you describe, when you use the word healthy, it, it resonates with me so much because ultimately it's it's not one or the other. It's not one spectrum. It's it's somewhere in between. It's it's You feel safe, but you feel that you have flexibility to move as well. If you don't have room to grow, I mean, there is no innovation. What is the purpose of it? So all that pulled together, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. Now, now, so maybe spell it out for me a little bit. How do you see it? You see a direct connection between security, privacy, ESG. How do you see those two connected? So the way I define, so so I wrote a book a few years ago. Uh, it was published. It's open source, so you guys can go get it on apress.com or if you have a Kindle or a Nook or whatever. It's called The Privacy Engineer's Manifesto. And I purposefully defined privacy because it is a slippery, slippery thing. And if you're tuning in from Europe, think data protection and privacy. But I view privacy as the authorized processing of personal or personally identifiable information according to moral, ethical, legal, and sustainable principles. So fair principles and unpacking those things. So in a nutshell, the functional definition of privacy for me is, are we choosing to protect stories, data, artifacts, about the human beings with whom we're interacting, whether they're your employee or your customer. I'm not parsing out through a bag of M&Ms looking for the green ones saying, I'm only going to protect emails today. I'm only going to protect health. I'm really looking at privacy as authorized. So there should be enough context created so that you can actually make choices that make sense. And then processing is everything, storing stuff, repackaging stuff, uh, sharing with with people that I may not expect stuff. And then the, the four horsemen, if you will, I purposely put them in order and always apologize to my true ethicist and moral, morality. I don't know if they're really parsed in two, but I say moral is one of those things where I say, hey, Sam, I think I, I would like to chip 
babies. I want to stick something under their skin when they're born so that I can monitor their calories because I want to make sure that, you know, we don't have a lot of obese people dragging down our health system. It's, you know, it's a big financial loss to this country in the U.S. that there's so much chubby people. So I'm going to stick something under somebody's skin and I'm going to track everything they eat from birth. Well, I hope that both you and I, as I used to be a chief privacy officer and, and you are CISO, you would say, oh, hell no. Like, that's not even like something for review. It's, it's morally, it, it's an anathema to do something like that. The second tranche is ethical. And this is where the ESG starts to fit in. What is our brand? The people who do marketing and the people who are trying to create an image and stickiness so that people want to work there and, and buy from there or, or be governed by politicians and whatnot. They're really looking for that brand. And I think that brand is your ethics. So I'm a helpful person. I'm, I'm, I'm an informed person. I'm someone who is generous. I'm someone who gives quality. I'm someone who gives value. When you look at those words, A, we have systems uh, requirements starting, and we'll get to that later. But we're also, before we're even getting to legal, legal is third. Is this something that I want to be doing to expand the health and welfare of my brand? Is this something that is going to be an activity that's worthy of investment? Is this something that's going to make people understand the value that I bring to the table? And then finally, sustainability is if you have so many guardrails for security, but you don't have anyone, people or process or tools to actually enforce it, well, it's not sustainable anyway. So you're kind of falling down on all of those things. So that was my super long-winded definition no, of, of really privacy. Good. It's really good. And I, and I could honestly easily spend another full day just to talk to you about the, especially the part about moral aspect of it, which I, I agree with you. A, a lot of the moral discussion I think we have is it's, it's the same thing that when we look at security. There's a lot of moral issues in security, as you pointed out. You know, when do you watch? When do you not watch? When do you intrude? When do you not? That aspect of it, a lot of it, I noticed that it has a lot to do with when people actually think about just one side or the other side as well. I, I go further and say almost empathy in security, which is do you actually look at who's actually being watched or do you actually look at whose data you're actually taking? That's a whole different discussion. But when you start to bring in the human factor of it, you call it morality, you know, however you want to put it. I think when you start to put that into it, you realize that people know ultimately, and most of most people would agree what is right or wrong to your point, but you have to open up that aperture. Otherwise, it becomes very one-sided because if you look at data, just as data, it's a database, it's a file, you know, what do I care? I'm just going to churn it. That's not how things are. That And you know that. People know that. So, But anyway, just that topic, I think we could talk for a long, long time. So maybe we could table <laughs> that for another discussion. Um, Absolutely. But but maybe we can we can uh, come back and talk a bit more about you know so now you have all the sets of data it's it's all over the place I I really like how you emphasize the term you know on authorization because that's typically what I would ask people about which is when they say you know wow somebody's taking my data so and so and the first question is did you get a chance to actually authorize or disapprove it. And I and I used the word I used the term. Did you get a chance? Because sometimes people just implied it, and I think that's wrong as well. And so, did you get a chance to approve something or disapprove something? And most of the time, they're saying no, I never get a chance, or they didn't know about it. So, privacy aspect of it is so complicated. I mean, how do you look at what is your data, what is not your data? You know, it, it's all over the place. 
how do you look at look at that and and you know from where we are right now you know most of the time data is all over the place right so what is your data what is not your data that aspect of it is complicated as well but there has to be a legal aspect to all of this which is you know how how do you actually set the guardrail you you set it as your third criteria third set of of gates which is great perfect Unfortunately, a lot of people look at that gate and then move up, right? So yeah. it will help, I think, audience understand what that what that gate looks like. Yeah. So and, and that gate is a moving target. I mean, we are looking at laws being promulgated almost every day now. It's really crazy. When when I first got into privacy, I, I was an intellectual property litigator. I got to Sun Microsystems late '99, early 2000, right as Scott said, "You have zero privacy. Get over it." So I missed you when I was at Oracle when we uh, joined. Force. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I was there for 11 months, three weeks, and two days. Uh, <laughs> who's counting? I was there for 10 years, unfortunately. <laughs> well, my my business partner Christy Edwards was there for 14. So lots of great people over there, but. I actually went from my my final role at Sun was chief governance officer for cloud, which is perfect for this conversation because I had security, ethics, privacy, and and usability um, under my umbrella. And it was it was a time when we were just starting to call the cloud the cloud. It was network.com, it was the grid, it was grid on a skid, it was utility compute. And then Steve Jobs, you know, marketing master that he was, called it the cloud. And suddenly that was something people could, you know, get their mind around. But but the point of it when it was something so new was to get people who were thinking about security meant things in my data center. And and even at that point, having portals and having authorized intrusion into your own data center, it wasn't terribly secure, but it sure felt like it. You could go down to an air-conditioned raised floor room and, and hopefully you'd have like a badge that would stop you from anybody walking in and you could see the plugs and it all felt good. But it was more emotional than actual. And so when we started actually thinking about compute as something that happens everywhere, and this is before the iPhone came out, we had the the Crackberry, right? And there were morality rules in my house anyway of could that Crackberry enter the gates of our bedroom? Answer, no, because I was sick of it. (laughs) I was like, no, that's a work thing that stays somewhere else. Now, of course, my phone is my alarm clock. But if you think about the emotion of security felt like stuff that you own. The emotion around a particularly American version of privacy for employees, we have a very different perspective than pretty much everyone else in the world that our, our employees, when they somehow cross the threshold, which now is in our homes and our, you know, in coffee shops all over the world, um, somehow that data changed character. Somehow that data became something that was owned by the corporation. And so I could watch everything you said. I could scrape your email. I could do all sorts of outrageous things that I would never do if I had like Sam sitting right next to me right now, reading me, you know, reading my emails as I type them. You would never do that. So I, I think that's that's where the that's where all of this sort of explodes for me is taking a step back from all of it. And we're, you know, we started out with ESG. You don't want your board members saying, you know, is the plug sitting on the dirt where you reside or is the plug sitting in a common data center with many people coming in and out of it? 
That's for your operations teams. You have to have very strict and strong rules. That's the governance part. You got to govern that and you have to have rules. You have to have standard operating procedures. But what we really want our boards to start thinking about is what is our point of view on having cameras on in people's homes where we see all sorts of children and dogs and and husbands and wives and, and comings and goings? What is our point of view on that? What is our strategy on that? What does it mean to my workforce if they can work securely anywhere they are? Does that change the character of the data about them that's coming in through all of these channels? So I think that's the challenge for people who really want to up-level the discussion and get out of the weeds of how is it done? TLDR, it's really hard. Right. But where do we want it to go? How are we setting the requirements that matter versus the requirements that are just mimetic of what everyone else is doing. Good news though, is as you said, I think there is a lot more questions. I I mean, we're seeing a lot more questions coming out from the board level Mm -hmm. and and that's a very, very good sign because I I used to joke and tell people that selling security, physical and software, it's like, selling insurance. When something bad happens, everybody wants to buy it, but it's a little too late. And when nothing happens, nobody wants to pay for it. So but now I think it's getting to a degree that people are, well, part of it because the last few years it's been, you know, so different. But I think a big part of it is because how much now we rely on, on, on digital. Every, everything is online, entire lifetime saving myself, everything that I have accumulated or own is online. You can access, you steal, you know, my credentials, you can get to it. That's, that's, you know, everybody's life. So I think that's yet a part of it where there's a lot of sense of urgency, which is, you know, to me, that's, that's taken it more seriously, for, especially when there is support and buy-in from a top down. I think that's a very, very good sign. I mean, we have standards for that for years and years, but I think there's a bit of a change right now that CEOs are taking security much more seriously board level is taking security much more seriously and where CISO used to be honest with you second and third class now it's first class citizen and in the discussion with business team so I think that's that's all a good sign so now a solution help me understand Michelle maybe tell us a a bit about what do you see out there maybe a bit about what you do um, from your perspective you know how do you solve some of these problems Uh, but what else do you see out there I think that would be great yeah, so there's there's actually a group. It's called the Rise of Privacy Tech. Troped, not a great acronym, but uh, it, it's a little sort of Usenix group that's that's sprung up here in Silicon Valley, but it's connected globally. There's there's a rise of technology that is starting to address some of it is security rewashed. You know, there's a lot of encryption solutions that are very good privacy enhancing technologies, or you hear them called pets. Um, and then there's other things that are really just starting to address the, the really sticky wickets in privacy, things like minimization and proportionality of use, legitimacy of collection. These are lawyer words, and we make these words as broad as possible so that our clients can operate with some flexibility. The downside of that is getting to your developers and your engineers with a lot of flexibility and bishy and bashy and reasonable this and circumstances that I have found over a very long career <laughs> that they don't like that. They, they have come over and over and said, Michelle, just tell me what to do. Don't give me a lecture about ethics and reasonableness. Tell me what to do. And so I there's sort of two parts of my business. One is is practicing what I call wicked privacy, 
that I learned from uh, Colonel Brian Lee, who's my business partner on the consulting side of the business. Wicked problems are things like climate change and, and poverty and how to educate masses of children with different learning styles. They're really tough, big, multi-stakeholder problems that don't have an end game solution. The only way you know you're solving them is by solving them. And so privacy, I look at from a wicked privacy strategic perspective is getting the perspectives of the stakeholders. And I don't mean analysis paralysis by any means. You can very quickly figure out what do you quote unquote need as far as an entity sitting in this environment, in this financial climate with these humans and with the technology stack you've got. That starts to shake out a set of requirements and the legal complexities. So there, you're gonna, you're not going to dismiss your lawyers by using technology. And, and we're actually quite nice if you get to know us. But what you're going to do is you're going to start to take those requirements and then you're going to translate them. So the, the software platform that I've built is called Privacy Code. And so my, my co-founder, Christy Edwards, she, she was the one at Oracle for 14 years. She started out doing masking and encryption on the row and column layer when she was at Oracle, which really was a very early turn of the century pet privacy enhancing technology. And then she's run products. She was she and her team and Mike uh, Murray's team found the Pegasus vulnerability in patched iPhones. So she is the tech head of my business. I am the legal side of the business. Together, what we built is a platform where you can go into our libraries of requirements and you can pick out selected items where we have pre-translated for you the what do you want from me? So we change, we convert big, big, big hard things into little small tasks that you can assign to your technical teams and the processes you can assign to your process business owners. And then at the end of it, you get what I call a bill of materials. So the bill of materials are all of the controls and all of the processes and all of the practices that comprise your point of view on gathering vaccine data, on complying with CCPA in California, on transferring information between various regions to regions that have restrictions. So you are looking at that as, as a C-suite person and reporting up to the board with a bill of material level understanding of, I have done these tasks, these things are complete, this is what I actually have as a fact set. And your technical people have a lot more granular alacrity so that your identity people do identity things, your database people do database things, your security people, they do a whole bunch of different things, but you know what things you've done and you're, be, you're able to actually look at that global eye view and say, this is the flow, this is the flux of privacy, and this is how I am, whether or not I quote unquote own the data, whether or not I am quote unquote responsible for the data, any data that I am exposed to, any data that I am processing, I can go back up to the board and say, I can attest that I am an active member of society. That's my S. I can show you my governance efforts. And then some of them will work and some of them won't. But that's how I, I view it as the people who are specialists should specialize, but we should speak to them in their language. And then the people who are the global governance people if you've got a senior title for chief privacy officer, chief information officer, CEO, use that C. That is your umbrella. Hold it over your head as, as you know, to prevent the rain for your teams. Use it as your shield. 
so that you're protecting from bad things. Don't hide in a corner and wait for the economy to get better. So we want to give everyone the active voice in privacy and security so that you're actively doing things that matter, you're measuring, and you're actually able to show as an individual actor, I made the world a little bit better today. And I think that's a good feeling everyone should have. I like that. I like that. I think the best kind of conversation, Michelle, it's just like the best kind of sparring session in the gym. I, it, when, you, when you finish your sparring session, however long it is, you, you get out of the ring, you feel tired, you feel beat up, and <laughs> you want to go back for more immediately. Yeah. Because you realize there's so much energy and you learn so much. And, and this is the same kind of conversation, Michelle. I think what you did for me, at least, I hope for the audience as well, is that you know I think there's so much to learn about this. I'd love to come back and talk to you some more about it. And then now I want to Google more <laughs> about these different aspects and different attributes about it so thank you so much really appreciate your time let's talk soon thank you so much can't wait to come back this has been silo busting a podcast from epam continuum epam continuum integrates business experience and technology consulting focused on accelerating breakthrough ideas into meaningful impact why do we do this because real opportunities aren't siloed thanks to sam raymond and michelle dennity for their great conversation cheers to kip halalas our sound engineer extraordinaire for getting this podcast recorded Applause to Ken Gordon, our producer, for all his masterminding behind the scenes. I'm your host, Allison Coden, and I'm off to check my privacy settings.